couple of things just to bring to your attention. Coming up uh, next few weeks, we've got a new teaching series called Look. And I'm pretty excited about this, just exploring the, um, the hand of God at work in our lives. So uh, Ron Tenby, part of our teaching team, is going to be sharing that series with us, which is pretty cool. And this morning, I'm going to be clicking on with our current teaching series through Proverbs. Now, probably before I get into this, <clears throat> some of you probably want to know what happened to me. Um, got a couple of sticking plasters on my head. Don't worry about me. I think your concern should really be for the other guy. No, that's not true. That is not true. Okay, I had a facelift, and um, and then it dropped when I saw the bill. No, I had some uh, some bad moles cut off. So anyway, it's fine. Don't worry. I'm I'm okay. But probably what you're finding is that um, it is like the third last day in January. January's just flying by, right? Pretty excited to tell you there's only 330 days left till Christmas. Some of you probably aren't that excited about that. But I really hope that you have enjoyed uh, some rest and refreshments over the holidays, particularly because last year was quite challenging, right? You know, 2022 was, was a, a tough year um, for, for many people. And I think probably some of those challenges might continue on a little bit. Here's some sort of the, the typical headlines that we're facing at the moment, you know, uh, rising cost of living, interest rates going up, skyrocketing inflation, the recession just on the edge, all that sort of things. Some big sort of, I guess, heavy things happening. And, and a lot of financial commentators have said that we're on the edge of an economic crisis, if not already in it. So as we start 2023, that's probably weighing on a lot of people's minds, you know, like we've got to maybe cut some of our spending, we've got to give up some of our luxuries, perhaps we've got to stick to our budgets, all that sort of stuff. So here's my question for you this morning. How much money would you need to feel rich? Now, this is not a, you have to, you know, call out your answer. I mean, you're welcome to if you want to, there's no judgment, okay, but how much money would you need to feel rich? That question was posed to um, a bunch of Americans in December last year in a big survey. And I'm going to tell you what they said. So this is the question, what annual income would you need to feel rich? 6% of the people said that if they had up to 49,000, they would feel rich. 11% said between 50,000 and 99,000. 14% said between 100 and 149,000. 11% 11% said between 150 and 199,000. 18% said between 200,000 and 499. Okay, so half a million. That's kind of their ballpark. 16% said between 500,000 to 999,000. But the biggest group said over a million. That would be what they would need to feel rich. Now, here's the thing. Most of us probably will never get to a million dollars, so I want to show you what a million dollars looks like in pictures. <laughs> this is 100 US dollars, all right? That has to be an American because there was no New Zealand pictures. 100 US dollars. This is 10,000 US dollars, okay? This is a million dollars. If you're walking along the street like this guy, and you stumbled across a packet of money, 100 packets of 10,000, that would be a million, okay? So just kind of get that in your sort of picture. That is a million dollars. So this is what 
22%, the majority of the people said they'd need more than a million to feel rich. But the fascinating thing out of the survey was that most of the people who, who said they needed more than a million to feel rich were already earning over 100000 per year. And so it's sort of like this subtext that the more money you have, the more you think you need to be rich. Now, I don't know, there's a whole lot of kind of commentary, the discontent in Western consumerist society. And I think probably if, if that survey were done in New Zealand, we'd probably have reasonably similar results just across the board. So a million dollars, that seems like a pretty decent annual income, right? You would probably feel like you were rich if you had that. But that is nothing compared to the wealth of the world's richest people. So according to Forbes, these five men are the richest people in the world. Does anybody know who they are? Feel free to call them out. Elon Musk, okay, on this side, yep. Warren Buffett in the middle, yep. Bill Gates, that guy, fourth. Jeff Bezos from Amazon. And who's this guy? Who was this guy? His name is Bernard Arnold, and he is in charge of Louis Vuitton and a whole bunch of other fashion brands and all sorts of stuff. Him and his family have um, some, pretty significant, some, pretty, some pretty significant capital. So those are the five most richest people in the world, and this is their individual net worth made up of assets, companies, stocks, etc., 219 billion, that's what the B stands for, 158 billion, 118 billion, 129 billion, and 171 billion. Boom. That's a lot of money, right? That is the combined wealth of the five richest men in the world, $795 billion. Now, probably, and I'm not making an assumption here, but probably most of us will never see a billion. So I'm going to show you what a billion looks like. All right, this is our million. Okay, you're walking along, bam, million dollars right there on the, on the ground. Unlikely, but you never know. <laughs> this is a hundred million. Okay, a, pack, a pallet, a pallet of money, a hundred million. Yep. This is one billion. Okay. Ten pallets of money. Right. Now, those guys have 795 of that, which is a lot. If you were going to spend a billion dollars, if you started out spending $20 every second to get up to a billion, it's going to take you uh, 580 days, okay? That's one year and 215 days, $20 every second, boom, 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 to get to a billion. So a billion is quite a lot, right? I just want to show you, this is my last picture. This is what a trillion dollars looks like. There's the guy. <laughs> okay? Now keep a trillion in mind. Because those are crazy, right? But the reality is that it is very unlikely that any of us will get to a billion in our account. You're not just going to wake up tomorrow and boom, there's a billion dollars. And maybe not even a million. In fact, according to Statistics New Zealand, less than 5% of our population has assets over a million dollars. And so the annual income in New Zealand for most people, the majority of people earn between $40,000 a year and $80,000 a year. That's the average annual income. But regardless of our level of income, 
money is still something we've all got to figure out. And with rising costs and expenses and all that sort of stuff, it's probably good to have some good financial advice, right? So you could do that yourself. You could get online, you could get a book, you could talk to friends and family. They might be some quite useful sources of financial advice. But I'm going to suggest to you this morning that you could tap into God's financial advice. Because, first of all, it's free, but also it has stood the test of time. And God's wisdom is wisdom that works. It is practical, it is relevant, it is applicable to every day in our lives. So that's why over the last few weeks we've been tracking through uh, our summer teaching series and we've been exploring some themes that God shares his wisdom on. And if we've missed some over the last few weeks, you can listen to the audio. It's on our website, alexbaptist.co.nz. We just thought this would be a helpful way to kick the year off, to get some practical insights for everyday living. So this morning, we're going to have a look at what God says about money. Now, you might be very surprised to know how much, to learn how much the Bible says about money. So, for example, there is about 500 verses in the Bible that relate to prayer. There's about 500 verses in the Bible that relate to faith. There is over 2,000 verses in the Bible that relate to money and wealth and possessions. So it's a pretty big deal, right? And a number of those verses are in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is essentially it's a collection of wise advice, a bunch of sayings about how to live our best life. And the majority of those Proverbs were written by a guy called Solomon. So if you're not familiar with Solomon, he was a Jewish king, lived about 3,000 years ago, and he ruled over much of what we would call modern-day Israel. And according to the biblical record, Solomon felt inadequate for the task. Just when he was starting out on his reign, he feels like he was a little child who, who didn't know his way around. And so he asks God for understanding, an understanding heart, so that he could govern God's people well. And God is very, very pleased with this request. I'm going to read to you how God responds. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and an understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame, no other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. So God generously gives Solomon wisdom and understanding, and then on top of that, he blesses him with enormous wealth. And I'm talking enormous wealth. So according to 1 Kings chapter 10, it lists the wealth that Solomon accumulates over his reign. So this is what he had. He had a vast property portfolio. He had uh, palaces, he had farms, all that sort of stuff. He had 1,400 chariots parked up in the garage. He had 12,000 horses, obviously, to pull the chariots. Foreign dignities, when they would come to visit him, they would give him precious jewels, spices, all sorts of gifts. In fact, every year, Solomon collected over 25 tons of gold just in tribute which would, would equate to billions of dollars in today's, today's worth. In fact, his throne was made of solid gold. His cups that he drank out of, that everybody drank out of in his palace, his cutlery, his knife and fork were made of pure, solid gold. So historians have estimated that in today's value, 
Solomon's net worth would be $2.2 trillion. He would be one of the most wealthiest people in all of human history. So Solomon would probably know what it felt like to be rich. You know? He knew what it was to be wealthy, but with his wisdom and his wealth, he was able to, to make some insightful observations on the role of money in our lives. And so we're going to kick around this morning in Proverbs chapter 10 and chapter 11. If you've got a Bible, uh, open it up to there or swipe to there on your phone or, or whatever. But I just want to make a couple of n- notes because Solomon makes these observations. And what you need to know about his wisdom, the wisdom of Proverbs, is that they are general principles, they are not guaranteed promises. Basically, if you follow this God-given advice, it is likely that your life will go well, but it's not guaranteed. Okay? There are always exceptions to the rule, and, and life, life is too complex for simple formulas. So I encourage you, if you want to kind of dive deeper and to see how wisdom works, uh, I encourage you to read the other wisdom literature in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, also written by Solomon, and the book of Job, and they really help you see the fuller picture of how wisdom works, the highs and the lows. We're just going to look at Proverbs chapter 10 and 11 this morning and, and highlight some of Solomon's general observations around money. And this is the first thing that he says. The first thing that he notes is that money can be a blessing. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, obviously, this is a generalization, right? Because there are exceptions. You will probably know plenty of rich people in the world who also experience sorrow. And just because someone is rich doesn't mean they are necessarily blessed. But sometimes it does. And God... uh, Solomon knew, what, knew what his, where his wealth came from. He knew that ultimately his wealth came from God. Because before he was crowned king, Solomon witnessed the faith of his father, David. David was raising funds to build this phenomenal temple. And David stood before God, <clears throat> uh, stood before God's people, and he prayed this prayer. David said this, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Now, Just like David, Solomon recognized that everything we have is given to us by God. Basically, our money is ultimately God's money. And so out of his generosity, God freely chooses to bless his people. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes it would be nice if God would bless me with a little bit more money. You know, it'd be good to have a Ferrari in the garage, maybe a private jet, you know, for my international travel. Unfortunately, particularly in the last century, Christians have kind of misunderstood God's God's generosity and his blessing. And there's been this idea which has kind of come out called prosperity theology. It's basically thinking that people can cut a deal with God. So if we have enough faith, if we say the right things, if we donate to the right religious causes, then God will deliver us 
health and wealth, and, and he will bless us with financial success and security. And you know, the thinking that we can cut a deal with God is, is pretty wrong. The Bible makes it clear that salvation cannot be earned. No one is entitled to receive God's grace. But out of his sovereignty and out of his goodness, God blesses those who he chooses to bless. Now, that is not to say that Christians are no better off than non-Christians. Look, look what else Solomon writes in, in chapter 10. He said, The godly are showered with blessings, or the earnings of the godly enhance their lives. Or even Proverbs chapter 11. Evil people get rich for the moment, but the reward of the godly will last. And so ultimately we need to recognize that God is the source of what we have. You know that bonus or that promotion that you've received at work? Maybe that increased revenue or that profit that you made? Maybe that return on your investments or that windfall that you received? There's a blessing from God. Money can be a blessing. Solomon also observes this. Money can be a curse. In Proverbs 10, 2, he, he writes, Tainted wealth has no lasting value. Or riches won't help on the day of judgment. Now you need to know that money itself is not evil. If you're walking along the street, you tripped over a million dollars downtown in Alexandra, money is not evil. The thing itself is neutral, but the problem stems from, from our desires for money, why we want money, and what we do with it, how we use our money. And so the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, gives some really clear warnings about money. Paul writes this to Timothy. He writes, We brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And you would know that our world is littered with people who get tangled up in the temptations of money. Kings and queens, business leaders, politicians, athletes, actors, musicians, influencers, famously wealthy people sometimes become famously corrupt. And it's not just famous people. The love of money, I think, is a temptation that almost all of us wrestle with from time to time. I love the way uh, author and philosopher Tim Keller put it. He said, money is a good servant, but a bad master. And the danger is we can become a slave to money. We're always thinking about how we can make more money. We're comparing our wealth to other people. We're trying to satisfy our wants and our desires. And when that happens, money can become a curse. But there is an antidote. Look at the next line that Solomon puts to these Proverbs. Tainted wealth has no value, but right living can save your life. Well, riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. So there's this right living that will keep us away from the curse of money. There's one thing that we can do to help us live right. And Solomon observes this uh, 3,000 years ago. He puts it like this. The generous will prosper. Proverbs chapter 11. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. 
The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now you think about that for a minute. That wisdom is really counterintuitive. In our Western world, it's all about accumulating and storing up wealth. It's all about diversifying your investment portfolio, getting assets that appreciate uh, in value, getting a return on your investment, maybe having some toys, some treats, some treasure, just really enjoying the good life. And there is nothing wrong with that stuff. Nothing wrong with it. But it is a short-sighted use of our wealth. Because the reality is, selfish people end up poor. When people hold on to vast wealth, they have a scarcity in their soul. And if you've been around long enough, you've probably known some people who have been very tight-fisted with their money, and over time, they become a very mean and a miserly person. One of those people was a guy called J. Paul Getty. He was selfishly wealthy. Uh, he was an American businessman, made his first million when he was 24 years old. And then he invested in oil in the Middle East, and, and by the 1960s, he was the world's richest man. It's estimated that his fortune would have been about $25 billion in today's money. But despite his wealth, he was incredibly stingy. He did his own laundry because he didn't want to have to pay for the service. Uh, if he was going to reply to a letter, he would write on the margins and then on the back of the letter, and then he would reuse the envelope and send it to the person. When his shirts would fray at the cuff, he would just trim the cuff. He wouldn't, he wouldn't buy a new shirt. In fact, he was so cheap that in his mansion, he installed a payphone for his guests. And when his grandson was kidnapped, he refused to pay the full ransom. But his financial frugality was reflected also in his moral deficit. He was married and divorced five times. All his ex-wives claimed that he was emotionally abusive and neglectful. And as he got older, he became more emotionally and relationally withdrawn. In fact, he spent the last 25 years of his life living in relative seclusion. The irony is that selfishness leads to poverty. And generosity leads to wealth. That is the opposite to the message of our world. Our capitalist culture is about accumulating and accruing and amassing, and that's not the way that wisdom truly works. In fact, this wisdom is perhaps best captured by the teachings of Jesus. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And maybe you know that truth. Maybe if you're a parent, you've seen the delights in your child's face when you've, when you've given them a gift that is just perfect for them because you know them so well. You know, interestingly, a few years ago, two neuroscientists conducted a series of tests. They wanted to see the physiological effects when people experienced the act of giving. And so they discovered that through the act of giving, whether it was money, whether it was time, whether it was a gift, that actually stimulates the same parts of our brain that light up when we enjoy good food or when we think of a romantic partner. And so scientists concluded that there are biological benefits to generosity, that there is a joy of giving. 
I don't know about you, but I think the benefits are far more than biological. Emotional, social, spiritual, eternal. But what's really cool is that science reinforces what Solomon observed 3,000 years ago. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So this morning, very simply, I want to encourage you to live generously. If you want to live your best life, if you want to experience the good life, then being generous is one of the most simplest and successful steps that you can take. And I know that we are living in hard times. Cost of living, rising rates, you know, expenses, increased inflation, all that sort of stuff. I get that. And sometimes it is a struggle at times when there's not enough to go around. So let me just say two quick things on that. The first one is I encourage you to trust God for his provision. Ultimately, our money is his money. And he knows what we need. And I think what I've found so encouraging over the last few years here at ABC, if you've been on the journey with us, is that we've taken some big steps of faith around finances. We've undertaken uh, some building upgrades. We've supported overseas missions work. We've invested in sharing the grace of Jesus in our community. And we have planned, we have prepared, we've prayed, and then we've had to trust. And I'm really humbled by God's generous provision and grateful that many of you have been on board with that. You have selflessly shared your time and your money to make stuff happen. I want to say thanks. And I really hope that our collective journey is an inspiration for you and your individual faith story. That God has got you. He knows your situation and he knows what you need. So trust him. And the second thing I would say is this. We are... We are way more wealthier than we realize. So let me show you this. There's a website called, called the Global Rich List. Okay? And what you do is you go to it. You guys see that? Sweet. And you select your, your location, New Zealand, and you enter your annual net income. Now I'm going to do three numbers here. I'm going to do... Uh, you remember at the start I said the average income in New Zealand was between $40,000 and $80,000. I'm going to put in $40,000. And this is going to show us where someone who earns $40,000 fits on the global scale of wealth. Okay? $40,000. Show my results. So if you earn $40,000, you are in the top 2% of the world by annual income. Pretty amazing, right? Let's do it again with another number. Okay, let's say, I'm just going to pick right in the middle, 60. Annual net income New Zealand, 60,000. You're in the top 1% of the world by annual income. Let's do one more, eh? 80. I'm going to put in 80,000. 80,000. This is like the top of the range for the middle of New Zealand, okay? Show my results. You are still in the top 1%, okay? 
but even closer. That's an interesting thing to appreciate, just how wealthy we actually are compared to the rest of the world. And so I think, I think that's pretty eye-opening. Like wealth is actually relative. You know, compared to the rest of the world, we are comparatively wealthy. And so I encourage you to be generous with what God has given you as the creator and the owner of everything. God shares that with us. And he encourages his people to do the same. In fact, generosity is the characteristic of the godly. Solomon puts it like this a little bit further on. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. And you know what encourages me is that here at ABC, we are increasingly known for our generosity. We've got Central Way, a ministry which supplies free food, free frozen meals, some of the community events we sponsor, light party, Christmas carols, etc. We're... Our, our, our children and uh, youth ministries, Magnify Youth and Movers and Groovers, you know, increasingly recognized as being generous and trying to live in love like Jesus in very simple ways. And so I want to thank you for selflessly giving to the mission and ministry of ABC. And if you're not already, I encourage you to consider how you can get on board with some of this good stuff that's happening. Because your contribution can make a difference to people's lives to help bring them closer to the life and the love of Jesus, which is really what we're trying to do. I just want to finish with this quote by Winston Churchill. He put it like this, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And so may you live generously. May you know the joy of giving, and may you refresh others as you are refreshed. Let's pray together. God, we just acknowledge that all we have is ultimately yours. And out of your goodness and your grace, you share that with us. So we just ask that we would use what we have to honor you. Be generous with our money, our wealth, our possessions, to bring blessing to people, to bring joy, to, to help others in need. We just ask that simply and sincerely for your name's sake and your glory. Amen.